Untangling Connections with Glenn Fleischman. This is Mac Voices. Today's edition of Mac Voices is supported by Truebill. Get control of your subscriptions at truebill.com slash macvoices. Welcome to Mac Voices. This is the talk of the Apple community, and I'm Chuck Joyner. Folks, we have what I think may turn into a fun interview today, um, as well as being educational and informative. Uh, we have a Take Control author who has put together a new book that, I don't know, I, I'm, I'm going to let him tell you about it because it's it's kind of offbeat. Uh, Glenn Fleischman is here. He is the author of, and I want to make sure I get it right, Take Control of Untangling Connections. Yeah, Glenn, don't welcome. worry. It's good, good to see you. <laughs> Thank you for having me on. I, uh, I get it wrong, too. I keep saying Take Control of Untangling Cables, which is kind of the prompt. The, the, uh, well, well, anyway, thanks for having me back. And I... Uh, you know, I think this topic, it's one that's near and dear to me, and I suspect just looking behind you in your area that um, it probably is for you too. I, um, I think cables have bedeviled us from like the dawn of computing, and uh, we're trying to figure out, what we do at Take Control is we try to figure out pain points often, like what are the things that are causing people the most stress that we think we could do something to alleviate and not to sound high-minded, but it's, you know, our, our readers write in and uh, I write the Mac nine one one column for Mac world. So I hear a lot of kind of unfiltered beginning to advance user response, um, which is great. Sometimes hard to get that these days because you're not, I don't know, there's not the same kind of forums. You don't go to Macworld Expo, whatever. So I get this kind of stream of people saying, this isn't working, this isn't working. And cables are, and cables and sort of port capabilities, like what can I plug into my computer and what will it do, is a huge pain point. So uh, I talked to publisher Joe Kissel and said, uh, what if we did a book, sounds a little ridiculous, but a book about... Ports and cables. That's exciting, right? And he said, sure. So um, that's kind of the result. And we thought about calling it like take control of, you know, USB and Thunderbolt or take control of this or that. But we didn't want it to sound too technical because it's really a book aimed at people who just want to get something working, not who are, you know, writing USB drivers or something like that. So take control of untangling connections is like how to understand and make use of the knowledge of knowing how USB Thunderbolt, HDMI, DisplayPort, Ethernet, and a few other things, how they work together so you know what capabilities you have on your devices and then also what the right cable or adapter is to make things work. That's the that's my elevator pitch on the book that's now written. Hey, it, it, I mean, it's a great elevator pitch because at first blush you think, oh, well, come on, you know, it's just you plug this in, you plug that in. Yeah. But it, it, all the standards keep changing. You know, the every time we get the promise of this cable will solve everything, then you get a this cable point one or this cable point two, and you just want to tear your hair out. It's like, what? Why can't? Why can't you people just? I almost. I don't know about you, Glenn, but I almost rather they change the connector shape to make it obvious as to yeah. what each cable is. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think a lot of people got angry when USB C came out, even though it's a. It's the first universal connector, right? It's the first thing that actually does what it says on the tin. You only need one kind of port and one kind of connector. It's fully reversible, so you don't have to do the. Um, I'm sure you've seen the cartoon that shows. Uh, it's you know how to put a USB Type A cable in. It's like you put it in, you reverse it, or it doesn't fit. You reverse it, it doesn't fit. You reverse it, and it fits. And it, you know, so it's sort of outside of our basis of reality. So I think USB-C made people angry because it was confusing 
And they would plug stuff in and it wouldn't do what it was supposed to do during this sort of ugly transition stage. And Apple jumped in early as it did with USB, uh, was it 1.1, I guess, right? Back in 1999, I think is the year, whenever 1.1 came out and they stuck it on the iMac and everyone's like, oh, now we have to get ADB converters. We need serial converters. And I've got FireWire. This thing only runs at this low speed. And then a few years later, everyone's like, oh, USB is the best thing. Why did we ever uh, complain about this? And it's, you know, it's easy when a new standard arrives to get mad about it, but then you have to, because of all the adapters, that period. Um, I think, I think definitely there's frustration that uh, even though say the, you know, you didn't want to necessarily have to own like seven kinds of cables, but you could differentiate them. So you knew that USB went in one slot and Thunderbolt went in another and HDMI went to another and Ethernet, you know, went into another. Um, and then, I think Apple's radical, I mean, at least in the Apple community, Apple's radical downsizing of ports also made people feel like they were being squeezed. Like I heard a lot of people say, I have to go buy $200 worth of adapters. And the answer was you didn't, you know, you could buy like $40 worth of adapters, but you kind of did still have to buy adapters. Um, and I think Apple heard, I, I would say, and maybe I don't know how you feel about this. I think Apple heard that because otherwise, why would they put, uh, what is it? Uh, there's HDMI. Um, Oh, I've forgotten all the ports that are on the new the, the MacBook uh, Pros with the M1 Pro and Max chips in it. Um, what they the, add the three? There are three, three right? USB C slash Thunderbolt ports. Right, there's and then there's an SD there's card, SD card, and an HDMI, and then HDMI, uh, or and then MagSafe three. So there's three non USB C ports, and you could argue the the MagSafe is kind of a you know it's a power only. USB-C style thing, even though the cord is totally different on the Apple side. But I, anyway, I think they listen because Apple doesn't usually make significant changes. And from 2015 to uh, 2021, I, if I'm remembering right, I think all of their laptops only had USB-C ports uh, during that period. So that was a big change after six years. And I, and I think it was probably from that frustration. Like, why do I have to occupy an entire port just with power if I don't have a dock or I don't have a pass-through adapter? Um, and the same with, you know, the, this, I want to be able to plug in an HDMI display to my computer. Do I really need another adapter or a dock or so forth? So I think there was, I think there was some of that frustration about needing to carry, you know, I, again, I read, read people say I have to carry several, seven, adapters with me. And I'm like, what are you doing that you need seven adapters? I don't know. But, but I also got that they were saying, well, I need, you know, multiple USB C to type a, and then I have this. And then I, you know, I have, sometimes I'm using two monitors. Sometimes I have a VGA because I'm plugging into an old overhead display. And I was like, all right, you know, I'm not going to give you a hassle, but I do think we are, we are kind of at the end of that transition period for most people because enough has been pushed out. And then some manufacturers, I mean, Apple predominantly, but other computer makers also uh, backed off. And so USB-C, like I was looking at um, while researching this book, I wanted to see how are, if I bought a, bought a Dell or an HP or some major brand uh, desktop computer or laptop computer, what ports am I going to find on it? Because I haven't bought one of those for years now. I haven't needed a Windows machine in my house or a Linux uh, box. And you look at it and you'll find ones that have like four or five type A rectangular connectors on it because everyone needs type A. And then there'll be a couple or maybe two, you know, anywhere from two to four uh, USB-C adapters or connectors rather. Um, and uh, and then there'll be DisplayPort or HDMI, or you can add a card for some of the towers and, you know, put a video card in and get other uh, other ports. So I think we've backed off a little 
um, recognizing that it's useful to have native plug types for the old square or rectangular type A and for DisplayPort or HDMI. I feel like that's kind of the evolution. Um, but, you know, it's still, I feel, here's a great example. While we were, edit while we were going through the book, Joe Kissel annotated a sidebar I was, I'd written about 8K displays. Um, and he said, hey, this Dell 8K display you mentioned, uh, it uh, requires kind of all this, you know, jiggery-pokery to work. Um, why, are, why aren't you mentioning other displays and what are the issues and whatever? And it's like, oh, well, if you look at the standards to do 8K from a computer, which is, you know, most people don't need 8K. It's a professional level thing, right? If you need an 8K display, you're doing very specific kinds of editing, probably for cinematic purposes, uh, maybe for TV ads. I don't know. And uh, the Dell display uses a special, it requires dual DP, dual display port, requires tiling built in the operating system. Uh, you have to have, you know, this kind of capacity, you have to have display port 1.4 or later to do all this stuff. And you're like, oh, well, I can't plug in a dual DP display to my Mac necessarily, because none, none of the Macs I have, I think, would support it. Even the newer ones that have uh, more robust support. Maybe if I stuck a, a card into a, uh, a what Mac can I stick a card into? And, you know, external GPU, like all these things, you're like, well, what would work? And it's kind of nothing. So Apple, um, uh, so the DisplayPort situation, you still kind of have to understand what standards are being used because all of the major standards, uh, USB 3. Whatever 3.1 and later, uh, the uh, USB 4, Thunderbolt uh, 3 and 4, and kind of all the computer makers are all supporting outdated versions of DisplayPort that only support really like 4K and with some extensions up to 6K uh, displays. And again, for most people, that's fine. Like a 4K or 5K display is going to be the thing you want. And you get multiples of them, but there's kind of a future thing. So if you want to do certain kinds of things, or, or for instance, you want to have a 6K display and you say, why can't I plug that into my HDMI port? It's like, well, because HDMI only supports DisplayPort, you know, 1.4 through blah, blah, blah. You know, you go through all these, uh, <laughs> this rigmarole and kind of iterate to explain to people. Um, so that's the kind of thing that I set out to answer in the book, because I think no matter how simple some parts of the port and cable uh, situation have become, I think a lot of them remain obscure. And so some people want a reason. Why doesn't this work? Some people want a prediction or direction, when will this work? And some people want something practical. Uh, can I get this to work? So I'm trying to answer each of those and as because we're trying to not make it a book all about standards, you know, but trying to answer practical questions by giving a little information, like here's the generations of equipment you might own, and then here's what you need to make it work. Well, that last part, I, I sort of ran into that recently. Oh, yeah. Where I was trying to, to hook up a, a, a monitor for a friend. And when we got there and were playing with it, they were just plugging in, you know, anything, anything to anything to see if they could get an image up. And, you know, as, and so, all right, let's back off a minute. Let's, you know, let's think about exactly what we're trying to accomplish here. But, you know, somewhere between HDMI and, um, and DisplayPort, things do get confusing, to say the least. Yeah, yeah. And DisplayPort, so... You know, here's one confusing thing that I uncovered because I didn't fully understand it before I wrote the book, and now I feel like I understand it, understand too much of it. Is uh, so USB C is uh, maybe I should start with that. That might be an interesting thing to dissect, right? Because I think this is this is something that's confusing. Is USB C is a like a ecumenical connection type, so it was developed by the USB 
implementers forum, the USB-IF, that is the standards making group for USB, but they didn't design it necessarily to only carry USB style data. So, you know, now we have USB-C that carries USB 3.1, 3.2, or 4.0, and we have Thunderbolt 3 and 4 that all use the USB-C connector in different exciting ways, right? But then so DisplayPort and HDMI both fit inside there. So the USB-C connector style, not the USB standard, the USB 3 standard, has a way to encapsulate DisplayPort inside the USB-C cable. And meanwhile, Thunderbolt 3 and 4 also have a way to encapsulate DisplayPort within the Thunderbolt standard. So you have these two different things that seem the same, but they depend on the controller chip in your computer, um, whether it's generating USB-C alt mode, which is the USB side, or Thunderbolt's DisplayPort mode, right? And it should work identically between the two. I think it doesn't always. So when you're trying to plug in now, you're considering like, well, okay, I'm actually using a USB-C standard or I'm using a Thunderbolt standard. What are those specs support? And when you dig into it, you find out both the specs support these. I, I think they're both, one is DisplayPort 1.4 and one is 1.4A or something like that. But they're, but you know, DisplayPort's now up to 2.1. And some of those changes have to do with higher resolution. Some have to do with compression. So you can fit more data over the same pipe and get higher resolution displays without using more, you know, bandwidth that you have available to you. Uh, so, you know, that can be one complexity. You might have a controller that is limited in certain ways, or you might be limited to the DisplayPort 1.4, 1.4A release because that's all the controller supports. So you try to plug in something with like a DisplayPort 2.0 monitor or 2.1, you're not going to get all the features out of it because if you plug it into USB-C, there's nothing that runs over USB-C that is up to date. You need to get a card that plugs into a slot that has a you know 2.0 or 2.1 built into it. I don't even know if 2.1 is built into any cards yet in order to get those features. So you're, you don't think you're being limited. You're like, well, USB-C as a plug format, I can just get an adapter and plug DisplayPort into it or HDMI with an adapter. And it would be reasonable to say, well, that's kind of universal, right? And it's like, no, there are limits. And so you could be stymied. I think because most people don't want to display above 4K and 5K is becoming affordable, but still pretty expensive. I think most people haven't butted up against this. Like, I don't know what I'm going to buy in 8K. I don't think I need a 6K. I have two 4Ks after having given up um, my 5K iMac uh, from my 2017 uh died an early death after four and a half years. And I looked, I'm like, well, maybe I should get a 5K display for my new computer. And uh, I thought, I don't need to spend that much money. 4, 4K is good enough for my purposes. I liked 5K. It was great. So I have two side-by-side -side 4K uh, for my needs. And so I don't know how many people will encounter it, but when they do, it'll be an issue because they may be wrestling, you know, especially again on that level, like all of us may wrestle with plugging in SSDs, external peripherals, computer to computer connections, um, trying to use 10 gigabit per second ethernet if we're doing something particular in our house or even one gigabit per second ethernet. Um, but I don't think the 6K and higher display issue will bite too many people, at least not until it becomes a lot cheaper, right? Yeah, I, I mean, I agree with you. Um, but on the other hand, you know, there were, there, there was a time that none of us thought we would ever really need a 4K display, let alone two oh or three or five or 5K or 6K or 8K. Yeah. So sooner or later, you know, it's going to come along and we're, we're all 
I mean, I'm a monitor, uh, a desktop space hog. There's no question. I just, the, the, the more monitor space I have, I feel like, and I really do believe it, the more productive yeah. productive I am. So I can't do, if I work on one monitor, I had to work on one for a bit when the iMac died and I felt like half my brain had been cut off. Like I literally, there were things I felt like I couldn't do because those are on the monitor on the right. And when they were, I can work on a laptop, but in this mode, like at my desk, I have a spatial awareness of things. So it was, it was very hard. Yeah. And, well, and the other thing, too, that is interesting, if I go back uh, to a different work situation than what I have set up here, where I only have 1080p monitors, mm-hmm. I feel like everything is either it's too big or I don't have I still don't have enough space. In spite of the fact that I might have two 1080ps, it just isn't the same as 4Ks. So yeah, if you get a, a 6K or a couple 6Ks, you know, then 4K is going to seem kind of quaint. Yeah, because I don't. It's it's really that question of like how much, how big is the display, and what can you see on it? And I mean that's an that's been an issue. I remember when it was the first was it the two FX came out, and it it uh, had support for some higher resolution, and it actually made everything super tiny. Because I don't think Apple had yet put the DPI uh, uh, ratio in, so you could put a card in. I remember being on a at my I think it was that long ago, and um, in the graphic design school and. Uh, the fellow I knew who I went up working for, he pulls up this display and he's like, look, you can't even scroll. Cause if you click, click the scroll thing, it goes the machine so fast. <laughs> and look at this display. This, you know, probably was 720p equivalent over. It's so huge and everything's really tiny because you can't map it. So um, yeah, those, those were the days uh, I just uncovered recently. You'll appreciate this too. And probably, probably people watching, I'm guessing by the demographics. Uh, I just was digging for some photos of, uh, I can't remember what, some cable or something. And I found, pictures I'd taken, I think, 15 years ago when I was about to clear out a bunch of old cables. And I, all my SCSI Terminators, all my DB25 serial cables, you know, there's SCSI 3, and I start showing this to my kids, and my kids start laughing. They're like, what is this? They see the 50-pin SCSI 3 connector, and they're like, what kind of cable is this? It seems totally, it's, it's, they just started laughing. And I thought, well, that's the future, right? But in one of the pictures, the cable looked like the cable looked like it was this big on the end because of foreshortening. I'm like, oh no, the cable wasn't seven inches wide. But they, you know, anyway, it was just it was a great uh, uh, like generation gap thing where all of their connectors are pretty small, and that's what they expect. They expect the touchscreen, they expect super high resolution displays, and they expect really small, often reversible connectors like Lightning and USB C. I hadn't even thought about the size part. I mean, because but you're right. If you look back at some of the SCSI connectors, they're they're more akin to what you use for a plug-in uh, EV right now than they oh than a computer connection. Yeah. Well, remember, more pins in the past meant more data because you couldn't. I mean, there were so many limits to uh, signal processing on chips that they had to. I mean, I was trying to write about the internals of a computer, and it used to be you could have really. I mean, do you remember these days too? Like, I sort of forgot them, and I recovered a lot writing this book. This was like a, a history exercise too. Was uh, when the internal buses on computers, so you could plug in a hard drive and get. I don't know. You know. 10 megabytes per second or some massive speed for the day, right? And, or not, or, yeah, or 100 or whatever it was. It wasn't huge. And then if you plugged in something externally, you'd get like, oh, no, I'm sorry. Yeah, you get like, uh, let's say the equivalent of 500 megabits per second internally, but you'd get like 12 megabits per second externally. So when Firewire came out, uh, it was, 
you know, SCSI was reasonably fast, but it wasn't super fast. There were generations of it. Then Firewire was like, it's a tiny cable. You plug it in, you get 400 megabits per second. So you're almost as fast as the internal bus. And then, oh, Firewire 800. Oh my gosh. Then it was, oh, USB three. It's like five gigabits per second. Who could, oh, now we're doing SSDs. So we need that overhead. But it was this massive leap from like, if you want something fast, you have to have a free bay inside your computer or a card because they literally just need all of these pins. You need so many pins to have a massive data bus to do all the electrical signaling. And now it's like, now ah, we can use like four wires and we can get, or, you know, eight wires or 12 or whatever in this micro format. And it's all great. And it, that, that to me is one of the biggest signals of the future. You look at these old cables and you look at the new ones, you're like, well, maybe we're now operating at a hundred or a thousand times the throughput, but we've also miniaturized. You don't need a cable that's a hundred times wider or even as wide as it was. You can have a miniaturized reversible uh, cable that's, you know, you can put it in your pocket and it'll carry 20 gigabits per second or 40 gigabits per second. So let's, let's get practical with something here. Oh yeah. Um, and you, you, you probably know this off the top of your head. But one of the questions I I so often get is, well, can I hurt anything if I plug anything into anything else? Can I can I damage my computer if I'm plugging into this port or that port? Um, can I burn out a display if I try to connect it to something I shouldn't connect it to? Mm-hmm. And and I think that's that's the that's a a big fear I think of most people who maybe don't want to or or aren't going to take the time to read a book like yours. So. From a practical standpoint, can we do any damage to anything by just right. trying to plug it in? Well, I'm, I will go back briefly to the SCSI days, as you remember very well. Like someone was just, I think Jason Stell was just talking about the numbers you had to poke in your SCSI chain because everything on the SCSI train would all like just laughing. It's because if you didn't, everything you needed a unique number. You only had eight numbers. You need a terminator. Well, you could potentially damage at least the logical structure of a drive. If you plugged in a SCSI drive with the wrong number or you, you know, conflicting numbers, or you unplugged it at the wrong time, or you turned the power off, like typically not a hardware issue. Although I swear I had drives in those days go bad. So people in hard drives, I feel like they're less reliable on average now than they used to be. I feel like they used to be more. I'm sure it's wrong. I think we use them more intensively now, even though the drives are much better. I mean, I can look at Backblaze's statistics and it'll tell me that I'm wrong. Uh, certain drives are very, very, very reliable. Certain hard drives, I should say. But uh, I think people got, who, who predate the SSD era in particular, I think we got burned by drive suddenly going bad or corrupting a disk and then having to spend a huge amount of time recovering it, or maybe it was unrecoverable. And so it felt like we damaged it. Right. So you still have to worry about, you know, unplugging a drive while it's in progress. If it's doing reads or writes or moving a hard drive while it's an operation, you don't want to shake it. You know, they're still much more resilient than they used to be. They'll, they'll retract their heads and so forth. But I, I would say with one proviso, it, you can't, hurt one of your devices by plugging in any of the cables that work with the ports you have. The one proviso is, and I'm sure you remember this too, this is, we're such contemporaries, I'm like, I know you remember all this stuff, is remember when USB first came out and there were all these cheap cables that were shipping for a few years. And this guy at Google, who I forget what team he was on, uh, Benson Leong, he did this incredible documentation project and he was like the go-to guy about USB-C cables. Uh, I forget if he was working in the 
Pixel, he might have been working in the phone division, so they would get cables in for testing, and some of them would literally melt down. One, I think, damaged one of his devices, and these were sort of no-name Amazon-provided cables, a lot of them being made in factories in China without any labeling, without um, standards compliance or certification. And so there was a period of, I would say, Two to three years where I was saying, you know, maybe 2016 to 2019, I was saying, buy major brand cables, like buy a, a Belkin or other world computing or, you know, Anchor. It's a brand name. They sell on Amazon, I think, exclusively, but I, but I bought so much from networks. Don't buy a third party no name cable because uh, there is the possibility, not likelihood, but there's a possibility it could actually damage your equipment or go at least consult Benson's list because he had this list. You could go see all his reviews on Amazon of what worked. And then something, I don't say magic happened, but I think the market shook out and the cost of cables went down and these companies making the cheap stuff could no longer make a living and they had too many bad reviews, whatever was going on. And I would say since like 2019 is 2020, I don't get the same reports from people about cable issues. Benson stopped updating his, uh, his reviews and site. It just kind of shook itself out. So, you know, that's where I want to say, like, I can't say, no cable you ever plug in in the modern era could possibly cause damage to your computer. But I would say there was a period where you had to be careful with certain USB-C cables. And I feel like that era has passed now. I feel like you just need to, you know, if you have older cables and they're working for you, great. I would try to find cables that are from uh, brands that are familiar, that have good reviews on wherever you're buying them from or that you know about. Uh, so don't buy, you know, a $3 cable from XQ7397 store on Amazon, which there are, I feel they're algorithmically generated, the store names. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of reliable uh, cable makers and, and equipment sellers you can get them from. So that's not exactly the precision of answer you would like in terms of... Uh, <laughs> You can't hurt your devices, but I think by and large, it's very, very difficult to, and it's by design, they can't. So if you're using properly designed equipment and cables, you cannot damage your equipment by plugging them into ports where in which they fit. Today's Mac Voices is supported by Truebill. Get control of your subscriptions at truebill.com slash macvoices. What do you spend on subscriptions each month? Most of us think we spend around $80 a month on subscriptions, but we actually spend closer to $200 a month. $5 here, 10 bucks there. Monthly subscriptions often feel like a great deal until you forget about them long after you've forgotten about the product. Get your subscriptions under control with Truebill. Truebill empowers you to save more, spend less, and see everything all in one place and take back control of your financial life. All that from within the free Truebill app right in the palm of your hand. Even better, Truebill can help you track and understand your credit score, get the best rates on your existing bills, create a budget that works for you, and understand and grow your net worth and get a pay advance when you need it. Eligibility varies. Featured on the Wall Street Journal, Cheddar TV, CNBC, Forbes, The Washington Post, and more. They are all paying attention to Truebill, so you should be too. Start canceling your unused subscriptions at Truebill.com slash MacVoices. Go right now, Truebill.com slash MacVoices. It could save you thousands a year. Truebill.com slash MacVoices. Thanks to Truebill for supporting this week's MacVoices. What? Ah, yeah, there you go. (laughs) Don't don't hammer them in. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But no, I think that is a good answer um, because I I, I absolutely believe in buying quality cables. Um, Mm -hmm. I. 
even in an emergency, I'm not going to go to the drugstore and, you know, pick up the USB cable that is hanging, you know, as a as an impulse buy at the checkout <laughs> counter. Just, I'd, I'd rather do without. Um, but, you know, I, well, I, yeah, I do yeah. think there, yeah, there, but there is that concern that um, I'm trying to, well, like I said, my friend was trying to get these monitors to work and, okay, so is it okay if I plug this into that mm-hmm. to try it? Right. It's like, yeah, I, I don't, I don't think there's a problem with that, but I figured yeah. I'd ask it here. Yeah. I mean, I've had some ports shut down. Sometimes USB-C ports and USB type A ports will shut down if they try to draw too much power. Um, that's a real issue with docs. In fact, I wrote a Mac 911 column not long ago because somebody wrote in with a very interesting question. Actually, it was one of the things I feel like that spurred this book a little bit. It was one of the things I made sure to include um, some details about is that um, there are minimum requirements for USB ports and Thunderbolt ports. And right now, a USB-C port should, uh, I think any, I should say USB-3, I think it's any USB-3 port should uh, carry 7.5 watts or more. And every Thunderbolt port needs to carry Thunderbolt 3 or 4, 15 watts or more. Those are the minimum requirements. And I'm trying to remember if USB 3.0 over type A if that was still 4.5 watts maximum, but it's you know these relatively low numbers, Thunderbolt a little higher, but you're not going to plug your um, you know your iPhone into via Thunderbolt, or right? you're plugging it in via the uh, USB standards, um, USB sorry three standards. Um, so the thing that can come up is this person had bought a dock uh, from a brand name company, and when they plugged certain things in like the hard drives unmounted and they had issues. And I was like, oh, and I'm looking at it. I'm like, you know, I think, and I read the specs in the doc and they had the doc maker included some notes about like, you can only pull a maximum of, you know, 22 watts, but they had enough ports that if you tried to pull the maximum from each port, then you could, and some drives peak, so they'll be fine at a certain level and they peak at a higher wattage. It could actually shut down the ports. And that's what had happened. They needed uh, either to switch their gear or get a higher uh, wattage port. Uh, and I suggested they get an AC powered port because bus powered ports are again limited to what they can pull off uh, a USB C bus, right? And so uh, if they got one with AC, external AC power, I mean, I've got one, I think I can turn behind me. Oh, yeah, I was reviewing this one recently. Look, I have a visual aids. This is the uh, TS4 from um, CalDigit. And uh, it's a, I gave it a very positive review. I mean, you can look, oops, sorry, look at all these ports on the back of this thing it has 18 ports and they didn't even count power in the security slot they were being very fair so um but it is uh 240 watts i think is the uh yeah it pulls in 240 watts and it has ports that do 20 watts usb ports with 20 watts usb ports with 7.5 it's got a 100 watt pass-through port like it's pulled you can pull an incredible amount of power out of this thing but it's because it's plugged into ac power and it's rated for that so if you're using bus powered ports that don't have an ac plug that's a situation where you won't damage your equipment, but you could have a hard drive particularly fall off the chain. And then you're dealing with, all right, was it in the middle of writing? You know, we don't have to do recovery the way we used to, but you might need to run disk for stage. You might have, might lose a file, you know, things could happen as a result. So that's one of the only things I worry about in plugging in is, am I plugging in something that's pulling too much power potentially off a bus powered device, which is, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of provisos, but it is a situation that people encounter since I got it <laughs> in an email. It does actually happen, and I've had it happen to myself. You know what the funny one is, Chuck, is SuperDrive, the old Apple USB SuperDrive. People oh, yeah. still use the Apple still sells it. People still use it. It has some weird electrical characteristic that many docs will say you can't use a SuperDrive with this. 
And then some will say you can use the super drive, but you have to install this special driver on a Mac to make it work. So if you're a super drive user, <laughs> read my column at Mac 911. I've plugged up to, and I'd gotten several emails from super drive users who were absolutely baffled. And I finally kind of ran it down. And, and I think the super drive pulls slightly more or the maximum, uh, voltage and amperage that it is allowed to do. And so if you have a, a Apple at one point, uh, some USB ports were 2.5 watts and others were 4.5 watts, I think was the limit. And Apple at one point was like, you can only plug the USB super drive into ports that are marked with like high power. Remember when Apple had high power ports on some USB ports? So this continues to be a problem for people to the day, to this day, because Apple still sells the USB super drive. I mean, it's not the best. You should buy another CD DVD reader, certainly not the Apple one because they're cheaper and better, but, but it is still an issue people encounter uh, for what I thought of as outdated gear, but it's fresh. Yeah. I've, I've run into the problem you were talking about with drives dropping off uh, with the, uh, I'm sorry, I don't have visual aids here um, <laughs> with, with the little USB C um, of docks, if you will, yeah, you know, yeah. that, that have no power that you use for travel. Um, if you yeah, plug in yeah. the drives, I yeah, have, exactly. This is, this is, by the way, a very interesting product from Satechi. Uh, it's a, uh, it has a slot and you, I reviewed this for Macro also, and you can put an SSD into the dock. So it's like a travel drive with multiple, uh, ports. So it's got, uh, pass through, pass through power and USB, uh, type A and HDMI. Anyway, but it's, I'm just sorry. There's your visual aid is one of these little things. This is a little more complicated than most of them, though. Yeah, but but that you know where I was plugging in drives that you know and we're trying to pull too much power through and mm -hmm. you know after after a while you realize what you're doing and it's like okay that's not going to work, um, but and those are great products that I'm not putting down anybody's oh, yeah, products, yeah. it's just that's not the use that it's not the right product for the use that you're trying to do if you're trying to you know copy something over to three different drives in spite of the fact that there are that many USB ports. Yeah, I think that's a great lesson, right? It's, and I, it's a, that's what I wrote in the column. Kind of was you need to you need to figure out before you start plugging in stuff that might be power heavy, like hard drives, into a dock. I mean, again, particularly bus power. But actually, there was even a um, there was an AC power dock that I think did not draw very much power either. It was might been under hundred watts, and so it was possible you could run into a situation there because it had reserved eighty five watts for pass through power. So only fifteen watts would be available when it was plugged into. Uh, so if you had your laptop plugged into the USB-C pass-through power slot and you try to use the other ports, you were limited to total wattage. If you weren't doing USB pass-through power, it could pull more power from the laptop or computer and give you more power to those ports. So you could wind up in you know two different situations depending on whether you're using uh, pass-through power for charging or not. So it's that I find, I mean, power, I think, is much more complicated these days than some of the data standards, uh, even though... You know, the data standards, we're still, again, we're still, we're moving into a new age. I have some, I have some visual tools for that too over to the side. Uh, we're moving into a, a better set of standards and expectations for, um, for cabling, for data, the data side of cabling. But I do still feel like power is the thing that is hardest to sort out. I mean, there's the least repercussion. You won't charge as fast, right? Or the worst thing is a hard drive falls off the bus because it's, they can't get enough power, but you're not going to, you know, you're not going to zap your computer. And I always want to say when I bring that up too, is, you know, if you have a 60 watt power adapter for a computer that can draw 140 watts, it'll draw 60 watts. 
If you have a 140 watt power adapter for a computer that only needs 60 watts, it'll draw 60 watts. Like that gets negotiated. That's a modern thing. USB-C makes it easier, but it's not something that you're going to, you know, you're not zapping your computer by putting in a, a adapter that has too high a wattage for it, as long as it's over USB-C. And that goes back to the question of, you know, can you do damage to your computer by plugging the wrong thing in? Um, yeah, this because yeah, because I mean, you and I both have MacBook Pros, um, and you know that's one of the things that I found a little frustrating using some docs that maybe were from a previous generation. Is yeah, they'll charge, um, but they'll charge it slowly. Or maybe a better way to say it is, it will it will decline in power, battery power, s- slower because you have it plugged in. That's um, yeah. And you, Chuck, I have a terrible confession to make. I don't have a MacBook Pro. The two other people in my house have MacBook Pros. I have a MacBook Air. We have a 14-inch and a 16-inch. My 14-year-old saved up their dog walking money and upgraded from an old, uh, kind of dying old MacBook Air to a 14-inch. And my wife was setting up her new business, and she's like, I, she's got little eye issues. So she's like, I need a big display. I want to be on it all the time. And so she got a 16-inch, and they're you know traded in a, a fairly decent not too old MacBook. So I have got the oldest laptop and the least performing laptop in the house, but they don't rub it in, which is nice. And they let me uh, test the, uh, the uh, power of MagSafe three. So I can, I can go and look at them and occasionally touch them. It's okay. Ah, okay. Okay. Well, but you know, the thing is, like you said, and and power, you know, I I hadn't thought about just that kind of statement. Power is Mm -hmm. really complicated. Um, And let me ask you one, one thing. And I've, I'm not picking on CalDigit because you had it, um, but but I'm going to pick on all the doc manufacturers oh, yeah, yeah. where they have a USB uh, a USB port that is for charging your iPad, um, and then yes. and, or something, and then they have some you know they they can't even they can't even deliver uniformly the power across all the USB ports. Is that just a cost thing, or is there some magic to uh, you want to use this port to charge your devices? It's uh, do you, uh, so. Do you mean uh, you can't get enough power? Like each of the ports is a different power output, or yes. you can't draw. Yeah. So this is no. This is a great. I think it's. I think it's a, a very complicated question that seems like it should not be that complicated. So I'll hold this up again. This is the box, but it has a great example. As you can see, if I bring it really close, people listening can't see, but it has all these notes about power and wattage and like one is like you know this one delivers this many watts and this one delivers whatever there's a combination of um and this is i should point out a thunderbolt 4 dock so it there were like there are limitations in thunderbolt 3 um uh, not about a data bus but about um uh i mean sorry it was about the data bus it was that a thunderbolt 3 compliant dock that didn't have optional features that are now mandatory in thunderbolt 4 didn't have to let you connect Thunderbolt data devices to a dock. You could do pass-through power, and almost all of them did, but they didn't have to do uh, essentially put a Thunderbolt hub in it. And that was new. Thunderbolt 4 requires hubs. Thunderbolt 3 is, uh, allows it. And Apple, if you remember, Apple had a Big Sur update. I think it was 11.1. And then I think they messed something up, and 11.4 is the next stable version for this. If you have any Mac with 11.1 or 11.4, or any later, any Mac running Monterey or later, they will all do Thunderbolt 3 with 
hub support and other Thunderbolt 4 style support. So even without upgrading the hardware, you can use a CalDigit or other uh, other world computing and other docs that let you do um, let you plug in Thunderbolt uh, three and four devices and use the maximum data rate through the dock. So that was one issue. The other is that. Uh, you know, there is a burden of how much power you can push through. So CalDigit, like one of the requirements of Thunderbolt 4 that's tricky is every, uh, on a host device like a computer, at least one port has to provide a hundred, not a minimum, but it has to provide a hundred watts of power. So that's a new requirement. So any Thunderbolt 4 compliant computer has to have that. And I think Apple has not implemented it on some of its older computers. Maybe it's new ones. I'm trying to think if the 14-inch MacBook Pro actually includes that. But so that's an Intel, you know, that's a baseline Thunderbolt 4 requirement. So prior to that, there was a question about how much power could you get out of a port of a computer? It might not be 100 watts. It might be a lot less on computers like a MacBook Air. So an external dock, if it was bus-powered and you didn't have pass-through power plugged in, it might not be able to deliver enough different powers. So they had to deal with the trade-offs of that. Then <laughs> there's the issue of if you have an AC-powered dock, they have to, um, from my understanding, like power circuitry is much more expensive than other circuitry because of how it gets split off from the uh, the DC converter inside the inside a device. So I think and I want to believe that this has changed a little bit because newer docks like this CalDigit dock are not as incredibly expensive as docks were a few years ago, and they're offering more variety of power. So I've got to believe there's new circuitry. It's become cheaper. Maybe there's some new reference designs they're relying on that let them not have to engineer from scratch certain complicated components. And I'm seeing docks that are drawing far above 100 watts of power. So this CalDigit is, I think, it's not maybe not unique, but it's remarkable in pulling in, like I say, I think it's 240 watts. Um, but I've seen other devices devices that pull in uh, well over 100 watts. And so once you have that kind of power budget coming in, then you can allocate it in different ways. So I could have something plugged into the CalDigit dock at 100 watts, at 20 watts, at 15 watts, 7.5 watts, multiples of those all at the same time and still be within the dock's power budget. Um, so that maybe is, so I think your question is great. And I think the answer is, well, maybe there were some limitations this design, heat dissipation, and cost that seem to have gone away because um, for the price of this dock, it feels like you're getting an awful lot. So less expensive docks should start to feature more higher power ports and more variety of power that you should get that you can get through them. Glenn is back in the next edition of Mac Voices to talk more about untangling connections. Just like the subject of his book, you would think that this should be simple, but it really isn't. Next time, Glenn gives us several takeaways, explores more about Thunderbolt, USB, and its many variations, and a whole lot more. He also touches on his Take Control of Your Apple ID book, something you'll definitely want to hear. Until then, I'm Chuck Joyner. This is Mac Voices. Thanks for watching. Visit macvoices.com for show notes and to connect with Chuck on social media. Get involved in our Facebook group or like our Facebook page. And get more out of your Apple tech with Mac Voices Magazine, free on Flipboard and on the web. And if you find value in it all, consider supporting us through either our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash macvoices, or by making a one-time donation via the PayPal link on our front page and in the show notes of each episode. You will join these fine people who help bring you Mac Voices.
Advertising handled by Backbeat Media at backbeatmedia.com. Bandwidth provided by Cashfly at cashfly.com.